0: Verse six and seven with God's help this morning. Verse six and seven. Hear now the word of the Lord. Give your attention to the reading of the word of the Lord for his word is in fact faithful and true. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his bond servants the things which must soon take place. Behold and behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, and now to the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you now, Lord, give clarity to our minds? Would you, Lord, give love and passion to our hearts? Would you give, Lord, a strength so that our hands and feet might obey? Lord, we pray that you would be glorified today as we proclaim Together, the truth uh, and the trustworthiness of your word. Help us, Lord, to not only believe that it is trustworthy, but to act in obedience to it. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, I decrease, you may increase. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Revelation 22, we've read this, verse 6 through 7. Uh, last week, saints of God, we considered the blessed vision of the triune God granted to those who are in Christ. Verse three of chapter 22, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve them, serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night and they will not have any need of the light of a lamp Nor the sun, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, I pray that over the last two months, as your elders have labored to preach on the beatific vision, the blessed vision, and as we have implored you to long for the beatific vision, that your desire to see the lover of your souls has increased, Brothers and sisters, the preaching on the beatific vision is not meant to create confusion. It's not meant to create mystery, but it is meant to create confidence and it is meant to create anticipation. We will see God. We will behold the one who has loved us before he ever said, let there be light. We shall behold the one who formed us from the dust of the ground and breathed into these earthen vessels the breath of life. We shall see the one who has written his law upon our hearts, and we will live with him in perfect obedience to his perfect law. We will see his face. There shall be perfect, sweet intimacy between God and man perfectly. An intimacy that is greater than that which we share and enjoy in marriage. An intimacy that is greater than a face-to-face meal shared with a friend. These give us but a taste of the eternal, unending, and perfect joy that we will enjoy when we see God face-to-face. Dear saints of God, do you long for that day? Dear saints of God, are you reaching out for that eternal prize, is it that seeing God, is that what you are striving for in this life? Are you more and more turning away from the allurements of this world and seeing that perfect happiness is located in God alone? Are you seeing that God and how God uses these imperfect happinesses like a sunset, or a sunrise, a kind greeting from a friend or a stranger, an embrace from your spouse or child, a time of fellowship with your good friend, that all of these goodnesses, all of these happinesses, if you will, that they are imperfect. And yet they are they are showing you they are pointing you to the perfect happiness that is found in God alone, who grants all of these goods. They are but a taste of the goodness found in the one who is absolutely good, the one who lacks no good. And they are meant to cause us to long for the greatest good. What is that? We will see his face. When that blessed time of perfect blessedness is granted to the believer, we shall finally know that which we know, that which we know in part, we will finally know fully. We shall know God. And, dear ones, in knowing God, we shall be perfectly happy. Uh, the song says, and I am happy all the day. We shall be. We will be. But there shall no longer be any night. The Lord will brighten our lives in such a way that there will be no need for any supporting light. The sun will be no more, but it will have reached its, its purpose for existence. It is meant to point all men to the creator of the sun. In order to give him glory. This shall be true of all created things. Those things that are not made in God's image. Will reach the the fullness of their purpose. And image bearers will finally see God face to face. The apostle John is exhorted by the angel. That that which I have just said. And that which has been shown to John, that all that that John has seen, all that John has heard, is faithful and true. We come now to these final 15 verses of this apocalypse of John. And at the end here, the angel is compelled to say to the apostle and prophet one last time, these words are faithful and true. Saints of God, this morning, with God's help, we shall consider, just one point, the trustworthiness of God's word. The trustworthiness of God's word. Two points. Number one, God's word is trustworthy and true. You may have heard this already a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Verse six. These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. As we near the end of the apocalypse of John, we hear the words that should sound familiar. Though they have been said in the distant past in terms of our worship together through the Apocalypse of John, they ring throughout this entire book. The words that you should be familiar with are found in verse one of chapter one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who read, who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. That was at the beginning of the book. And now here at the end, the angel reiterates the purpose which was stated at the very beginning. It is to show the servants of the Lord, the slaves of Christ. What things shall take place because the time is near? What things that we should expect? What things that we should anticipate as we await the approaching victorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ? The angel once again repeats the mode of transmission for this book. How has this book been given? These visions have been given from God to Christ. From Christ to the angel. To the angel from John. From the angel to John, and from John to the church. The angel proclaims, these words are faithful and true. The statement is derived from Isaiah 65, 16. Listen to this. Which expresses confidence in God's forthcoming act of the consummation of the new creation, which was inaugurated by Christ. We believe in what God is going to do because what God has begun... The work that God has began, he will complete. Amen. The emphasis is for the believer to keep on believing. Amen. As we come to the end of this book, not the quote, Journey, but to be very clear, don't stop believing. Keep on believing that which you have believed. The emphasis for the believer is to trust in the certainty of God's word concerning the future, which will sustain the believer for today. How do you know that God will do what he says that he will do because his word is faithful and true? How do you know that God will bring to completion that which he has begun? Because God's word is faithful and true. Keep on believing. And because you believe his word is faithful and true, it will keep you for today. These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Through the Apostle John, who is at the end of this book. Throughout this entire book, there's been um, visions been given to John. And now at the end of this book, the angel is doing something very special for John. The angel is not just proclaiming, which we'll 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 get to in a moment. He is confirming the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, as a prophet of the Lord. John is being placed in the category Not just of an apostle, which is a high honor in and of itself, but also in the category of a prophet. Just as God is the God of the spirits of the prophets and moved them to speak or to write that which God moved them to speak and write concerning the future. So God has also moved John in order to unveil the future, in order to encourage the church of Christ. The Lord unveiled things to prophets. And now the Lord is unveiling things to John. And the angel is saying, you are among the prophets. Chapter 22, the angel calls the prophets who came before John. He calls them John's brethren. Not just because they were both Jews, but because they were in the same category of giftedness. Just as they were prophets and the word that they gave was faithful and true because it came from God. So this revelation given to John is faithful and true because it came from God. And John is likewise being granted, being granted the gift to be able to see things in order to reveal it to the church. John was a prophet. And in that he was used by God to unveil that which was previously veiled. This book is the Apocalypse of John. You will will remember, Apocalypse means uncovering. Apocalypse means unveiling. Uh, Whenever we think of the word apocalypse, we think destruction. But apocalypse actually means unveil. Revelation twenty two ten, the angel said to me, John, do not seal up the words, or do not cover them, do not veil them, do not cover the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Unlike the prophet Daniel, who was commanded to seal up the revelation that he had that he had received, or unlike the apostle John, the apostle Paul, who was not allowed to reveal what he had heard. The Apostle John is commanded to do the opposite. Don't seal it. Unseal it. Don't veil it. Unveil it. John did not receive this revelation in order to keep it to himself. Rather, he received this revelation as a prophet from God and obeyed God's command to give God's word to God's people because the time is near. The sealing or the veiling, listen to this, of Daniel's prophecy, it signaled... That the time of its fulfillment, when Daniel was receiving this prophecy, was still in the distance. Therefore the Lord said, seal it, because the time is not near. Daniel was standing in a different, I'm going to use this word a lot today, in a different epoch, or epoch. That means age. He was standing in a different age, according to God's redemptive plan. But what John sees, what John sees concerns The historical, redemptive, redemptive historical age in which he was living in. John was living in in an age in which God says the time is near now. Therefore, unseal, unveil that which is for the church because the time is near. Um, What time, what epoch, epoch, was John living in? What age was he living in? John was living in the same age, the same time, the same epoch, as you and I. We live in the same age as the Apostle Prophet John. What is that age? You and I are living in the same generation as the Apostle John. What is that generation? It is the age, the epoch, the uh, the, the generation between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. You and I are living in the same age, the same time. The same generation as the apostle John. We are living in the symbolic 1260 days. We are living in the three and a half years between the enthronement of the child of the woman and his return in glory as the captain of the Calvary of heaven. As we live in this last age and await the glorious, victorious return of Christ, we have as an anchor for our soul. The word of God, which is faithful and true, which God has given to chosen men to give to you and I so that we would not fret during these dark times. The angel announces to John who announces to the church these words, these words, they are faithful and true. These words are from God and because they are from God, they are trustworthy and true. Because God is trustworthy and true. The angel is not just, he's not just informing John that these words are faithful and true. He's not just telling him of the trustworthiness of these visions. The angel is proclaiming. The angel is proclaiming that the words that have been given to him, they are faithful and true because God is faithful and true. That which John has been seeing and hearing from the beginning and recording was not from the mind of John. John didn't make these things up. That which John saw, that which John heard, that which John recorded, did not come from the wisdom or inventions of men. It came from God Almighty. Therefore, these words are trustworthy and true. 2 Peter 1.20 But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. We didn't make this stuff up. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You know the verse, don't you? All scripture is inspired by God. Breathed outright by God. That which is before you this morning, that which you hold in your hands, that which is in your lap, that which is resting in, in your hands this morning, it is the eternal, inspired, trustworthy word of God. This is God's word. Oh, dear ones, how we need not just to inform people of the trustworthiness of God's word. We need to proclaim to people of the trustworthiness of God's word in this last epoch, in these last days, the last days that you and I are living in. We need men and women, boys and girls to be unashamed, to proclaim that God's word is faithful and true. It is trustworthy and true. We need bold believers who will hold up God's word, stand in the marketplace, stand in their schools, stand in their workplace, unashamedly testifying to the trustworthiness of God's holy word. In this last last epoch, in these last days, the time between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ, we must be steadfast and immovable in our stance of the trustworthiness of God in these last days. This final age, as we await the glorious, victorious return of Christ, how we need the 144,000 to stand with the Lamb against the enemies of Christ. We must not be bashful about our trust, our trust in God's word. We must not be timid about that which is trustworthy and true. May God grant us boldness. To be heralds of the trustworthiness of God's Word. May God grant us boldness to stand and be unashamed. This is what God's Word says. The world that we are living in appears to be getting darker and darker, but we have been forewarned that these things must take place. We're seeing, we're hearing of it now, aren't we? Matthew 24, the Lord forewarned us in this age This age will be littered with false messiahs. It will be littered with wars and rumors of wars. Nations will be rising against nations. We have not seen in a very long time Israel and the United States and China and Russia. We are living and have been living in the final days, the last days. Nations rising against nations. Famines, earthquakes, persecutions, betrayals. We have learned as we have walked through the apocalypse of John... That these are the last days. We, we are living in them since Christ rose from the dead. And till today, we are living in the last days. Our Lord has revealed to John through the seals, through the bowls, through the trumpets that these are the last days and we are living in them. And they will be perilous times, tough times, dark days, violent days, men, uh, days when, when, when violent men and false prophets will arise. They will be days when Babylon will deceive many with their false promise of happiness. And our Lord warned that as lawlessness increases, so too will the love of men grow cold as wax that has been blown out from the, fl- from the flame. But we are also encouraged by our Lord in the midst of this, I'm going to say this word, in the midst of such apparent chaos. Our Lord reminds us, see that you are not frightened. For these things must take place. This is not yet the end. We are encouraged by the Lord at at such apparent chaos. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Dear ones, how will any of us be able to stand, let alone continue to walk forward, even as as it appears as though darkness is closing in from all sides? How will we continue to breathe comfortably as it appears as though we are being pressed in from all sides? I say to you that the only way that someone is able to stand, the only way that someone is able to walk, the only way that someone is able to breathe is if they hold up the lamp of the light of God that will be a a light for the darkness around us and it will be a light for our feet. The trustworthiness of God's word, trusting in the holy word of God, will only be the source that allows you to walk and to breathe and to continue to know that all things are well with my soul. In this apparent chaos, his word is a compass guiding us along the way. His word shows us that the world is not spiraling out of chaotic control, but that he is sovereignly guiding history toward a glorious climactic end, the return of Christ. This gospel, Jesus says, how do we know that God is in control? Because the word says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. God is saying it's all, it's, it's, he is in control. He, the world is not spiraling out of control. The gospel must go to the nations, then the end will come. So let them come. Let the false messiahs come and go. Let the wars rise, burn and fizzle out unto the next one. Let the nations raise. Let tribulation, persecution and suffering have their way. All of these things, in all of these things, those who hold fast to God's word shall be like a house whose foundation is built on the rock. Amen. The wind, let it come. The waves, let them beat. They will beat upon the house, but they will not be able to bring you down. They will not be able to bring you down because you are founded upon the rock, the word of God. Therefore, you will be immovable. You will be unshakable because you are built on the rock of ages. The word of God. His word is eternal. His word is is unchanging. His word is trustworthy and true. The prophet Isaiah proclaimed, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Dear saints of God, this angel, as the visions are coming to a conclusion, is proclaiming. He's not just informing, just like I'm not informing you today. I am telling you. I am proclaiming to you that God's word is faithful and true because it comes from the one who is faithful and true. It can be trusted. It is our light in the storm guiding us home. Amen. Amen. Second Peter 119. So we have the prophetic word made sure to you, which you would do well to pay attention to because it is a lamp shining in a dark place. It is a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. If your hope is in God, He has provided for you. He has provided for me. Listen to this. He has provided for you a safe way home. Lord, how do I get home? I've given you, He says, I've given you my word. Follow the light. It will take you home. Follow the light. It will guide you home. Follow the light. It will guide your feet. And you will get there safely, dear brothers and sisters. In these last days, hold up the word of God. You shall never be lost in the darkness. You shall never be lost in the darkness. You'll never be able to say, where am I? God's word will always bring you home. God's word will always bring you home. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'll get, I'll get a little King James for you, Scotty. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word is trustworthy and true. His word is trustworthy and true. Hold it tight. Don't let go of it. Don't let it be ripped from your clutches. Keep it tight to your heart. Keep it tight to your mind. The word of God is trustworthy and true. Secondly, blessed is the one who heeds. Verse 7. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy of this book. if God's will be done, I would like to do a, a whole sermon on considering the three. I am coming quicklys" of the Lord Christ, but not today. Back in Revelation chapter 21, verse five, John was commanded to do what he had been doing for 21 chapters. Right. And the angel emphasizes that the words and visions that were being given to John were not words and visions of inventions of the inventions of men. They were faithful and true words. Because they find their source in the one who is faithful and true at that time. Because you heard this verse not too long ago. You were exhorted. We were exhorted. Three things. To give our attention to the hearing of the word of God. We were exhorted to give our reverence to the word of God. And we were noted. And we noted that it is through hearing. And through reverence that faith is birthed in us. It is through hearing that faith is fortified in us. Because God's word is faithful and true. Now here, at the end of this book of visions, we are once again exhorted about the trustworthiness and truth of God's word. But this time we're not exhorted to just give our attention and reverence to the word of God. But now we are exhorted to give our obedience. We are exhorted to give our very existence to the living word of God in order to live according to it. We agree. I appreciate your amens. We agree God's word is faithful and true. Uh, We agree when the man of God says it is a light for your path. We can agree that it is a, a lamp to our feet. But you gotta walk. You can't stay still and say, I know where I'm standing. We cannot simply allow the word of God to show proper footing. I, I at least know that the step in front of me or the space where I'm at. At least I'm safe here. But the word of God has been given as a lamp to your feet and a light for your path. Which means it will show you where you are and it will show you where you must go. But you've got to walk. You must walk. And as you walk, you are therefore walking in obedience. The light will do us no good if we don't walk onward. The light does not show us where we are, but shows us again where we must go. That means we are not only to be hearers of God's word, but we are to be doers of God's word. Mm. James 1. It, It is the one who believes that hearing is enough that deceives himself. No, dear ones, we must be doers of God's word. Our Lord exhorted the church, blessed is he... And we're going to use that blessed at the very end of this. Blessed is he who heeds, obeys, the words of the prophecy of this book. It can be very elementary for the minister, the man of God, to stand before you this morning and call you to obey God's word. It almost goes without saying. It almost is like, really, you called me here to say that you must not only be hearers of God's word, but be doers of God's word. I could have got that on my own. Regardless. It is my charge from God to proclaim the full counsel of his word. That means that, yes, I'm going to say to you that which you already know. I'm going to proclaim his word to you now in your ears, and I'm going to acquaint, uh, 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 proclaim it to you even though you are well acquainted with it. The Apostle Peter said, our family going through First Peter, Second Peter now. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Kids, you don't like when your parents tell you the same thing over and over again, right? I I said to my kids when we were sitting at a table reading this verse, I will always be ready to remind you of the things that you know. I'm going to tell you again and again and again, even though you know them. Why do I keep telling you them? Well, first, that you can be reminded of them, but sometimes I tell you them because you're not doing them. Why do I keep, Dad, why do you keep reminding me of the same thing? If you would do it, I wouldn't need to remind you of it. But even if you are doing it, I'm going to remind you to keep on doing it. I, I, I love what Peter says, even though you know them already, I will always be ready to remind you of them, even though you know them already, and have been established in the truth which is present in you. You know the truth, you're established in the truth, but I'm going to keep reminding you of the truth, even though you know the truth, I'm going to keep on telling you. So pastor, it is, my, it is your responsibility to keep telling me what I already know, and please don't stop telling me until I go. Don't stop telling me, even though I know, even though I'm establishing it, don't stop telling me until I go. Yes, you know the truth. But we must not, we, we must not only be hearers of God's word, which is trustworthy and true, but we must also be doers of God's word, that which is trustworthy and true. I would like to consider with you this morning, though, why must you be a doer and not just a hearer? Why must you obey? A few things, because obedience is evidence that you believe. Obedience is evidence that you believe. James says, show me by your faith by what you say and I will show you my faith by what I do. James then gives an example. If your brother or sister, someone that you love, someone who is in the faith, someone who professes the faith as you profess the faith, is in need and is seeking help, and your way of, of helping them is only wishing them well, James wants to ask, Here's what he wants to ask. What kind of faith is that? What kind of love is that? You say you believe, but when someone has a need, you do nothing to try to meet that need. Instead, you say, I hope all things go well with you. James wants to ask, can that kind of faith save? James is not talking about salvation by works, but he's rather admonishing those who have true faith to show this, that their faith is alive. That you actually possess a living faith and not a dead faith. What's dead faith? Well, living faith is evidenced by works of faith. Works of faith. Again, you already know this, don't you? Faith, true faith, cannot be speech only. It must be a faith of action. If you really believe God's word is trustworthy and true, you, have, you were saying in my first point, Amen, Amen. If we really believe the Amen, the so it, so it is, let it be, then we do not just give our ears, but we give our head and our heart, which will move our hands and our feet to action. And this leads us to a further exhortation to heed God's word. It not only shows where you are, but where you must go, we must obey God's word because the path forward changes us. Last week, Pastor Isaiah preached a wonderful sermon on forgiveness. Oftentimes, when we have a sermon like that on forgiveness, it doesn't produce much dialogue, does it? We're all sitting around going, how'd you like that sermon? It was good. <laughs> it's the kind of sermon that doesn't create much, much... um Extrovert kind of dialogue. Instead, it creates introspection, introspective. Introspection, man, whatever that word. It causes you to look inside. Amen. It causes you to look inside, but also to have the courage, as you look inside, to open closet doors where there are bones of those who you refuse to forgive hanging there. Hmm. Who did that? I did it. As Pastor Isaiah was preaching, I could see the hundreds of people that I can't that I don't want that I don't want to forgive. I'm among those people that Pastor Isaiah said, I wish that verse wasn't there. Man, I quietly said, yeah, me too. But they're there. They're from the Lord. And wouldn't you know it, Pastor Isaiah says, you ever you, you ever notice it, that the people that you, you want to see, you never see, the people that you don't want to see, you always see? They come up. And, well, it was me this past week, the people that I didn't want to see. How are you showing up? Of all places, on my YouTube feed. Where did you come from? How did you get here? Well, they were brought around by the Lord, I believe. And I was confronted once again. Do I believe his word is trustworthy and true, or do I not believe it's trustworthy and true? Let me get to a point. Because Isaiah, Pastor Isaiah, there was a key that he says. If if you want to get into that, door, I'm using this metaphorically, as as I didn't actually say this, but I'm going to use it. Pastor Isaiah says, If you want to, here's the key, if you want to be like Christ, that's how we began a sermon. If you want to be like Christ, here's what you got to do. The key he gave is, do you want to be like Christ? If you do, here it is, go open the door. And all of us, I think, took that key and went, I don't know if I want to be that much like Christ. We were confronted, weren't we? If you want to be like Christ, here's the key, go open the door, confront the things that are not allowing you to be more like Christ. Right. Amen. We both, my, myself and Isaiah, both uh, admired the same ath- athlete. We both wore the same WWJD bracelet. Sometimes he stole mine because he was my little brother and very rarely he took things of mine, but I'm sure that once upon a time there was probably a few of my bracelets he was wearing. But the point is this. The Lord that Pastor Isaiah was using is this. Do you want to be like Christ? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be like Jesus? There is a path that has been lit of righteousness that awaits us walking on it. If You can imagine walking into a room, walking into your house. And if if any of you have a, a hallway that has a separate light that will light the path of the hallway. That path is the word of God that has been lit for us. And we are being beckoned to walk it. If we believe God's word is faithful and true, then we will walk this path. This path is not a path that you walk alone. God guides you. Christ takes you by the hand and says, come with me, I will make you like me. And as we walk, why should we obey? Because as we walk, we are being altered. As we walk, we are being shaped. We are being assimilated. The overwhelming testimony of of the New Testament is this. If we are in Christ, then we are going to be made like Christ. If we are in Christ, then we will be conformed to Christ. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, the Apostle John. The one who says, I've come to know him. I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The one who says, I know him. Here's the key. Go in that door. I don't know him that much. You're a liar. Not you. The one who says that. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word. See the difference? Here's the contrast. But whoever keeps his word word to him, the love of God has truly been been perfected. But this we know. By this we know we are in him. The one who abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. Amen. Amen. Forgive them Lord. They don't know what they're doing. Blessed is the one who prays for those who insult them. And so who say all kinds of things about them. Do you see how hard it is? Want to walk down that path? Those who claim to know Christ, to keep the commandments of God, and as we do, we are being changed. As we obey, we are being, we are being altered. We're we're being shaped. If you could think of Plato, you're, 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 you're in the hands of the, of the, of the Master, and he is shaping you, and he is conforming you, and at times, it doesn't feel very good. But it's necessary. It's necessary. The easiest example that I can think of as often is often is, is when a person decides to become healthy. Eating habits must change. Routine of exercise must change. And if they are disciplined and consistent, they'll see the results of their efforts. They're changing. So it is with those who want to be like Christ. The triune God indwells the man, makes his home within the man, and then assimilates the man to himself, comes in and changes us from the inside. Makes us a whole new man. Aquinas uses the example of a wax seal. Hot wax poured out and the seal, you you know those old school seals that's being impressed upon the the wax. It's being imprinted, pushed down upon the wax. And the, the image is being shaped upon that which is raw and unshaped. Obedience to God's word. It's the only, it's not just the proper response, it's the only response for those who love him. And It is the evidence that He has imprinted Himself upon us. When we obey, it is evidencing that God is in us. That God is changing us. In Christ, you are made new creatures. You and I are His new creation who have been saved, set apart for good works. You are no longer who you used to be. Look at yourself in the mirror at times and say to yourself, you're not who you used to be. You're not him anymore. My wife has to remind me of that Uh, often. you're, You're not that guy anymore. Praise be to God for a helpmate like that who will remind you that's not you. Because you have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you and the life that you now live in the flesh. You live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave himself for you. You're not who you used to be. We are not who we were. And we are not yet who we shall be. But we are. If we walk in obedience, we are on the way, aren't we? We leave behind the old man who has been crucified with Christ. I may say to you, your nature has been changed as well. You don't have a sinful nature. You are indwelt by Christ. That nature has been removed from you. You are indwelt by the triune God. You don't have a sinful nature. Your nature has been changed. You have been altered. And evidence of that is that you have a new heart and a new mind. You yield and obey God. The sinful nature doesn't do that. The new man does that. The man who was put on Christ does that. The one who is a new creation does that. So, as we walk on this path that is illumined by God, we're changed. But you're not just changed you are changing in order to be prepared to be presented you're not just changing praise be to god for that you will ultimately be completed we've seen this in the previous chapter we are being made ready as a bride who's been prepared and adorned so that at just at the right just at the right time she may be presented to her husband the goal of being assimilated is to be perfected The goal of your being changed is to ultimately be complete. Some of you, you got got ready this morning and when you were done, you say complete. You were in process of getting ready. Whatever you did, you were in process of getting ready until you finally looked at your mirror and said, done. God is making you done. God is preparing you to be perfected. There will not be, as the bride of Christ, one item, one accessory, one hair out of place. The saint, the saint of the living God will not stand before God yet undone. You won't go to God and go, I, I, I'm not worthy. You won't stand before Him with your head down and say, I, I'm, I'm undone. You won't have a prophet Isaiah experience, Isaiah chapter 6, woe is me for I am undone. Instead, you will be purged of all sin. All guilt will be removed. All remaining sin You will stand before God and you will behold the lover of your soul. You will be perfected in righteousness. You are being made as pure gold, even more precious than gold. I know you know this. But as one of your guides along this path, I need to remind you yet again where we're going and what is happening as we go and where we're headed. Look ahead. Here's what's happening. You're being made like Christ. Here's where it how it will end. You will be perfect in Christ. And here's where we're going. You will see his face. Don't forget to look ahead. We got the light at our feet. I can see my feet. Stop. Pointed ahead of you. Don't forget where we're going. Don't forget where we're going. Come what may. Don't fear. And don't forget where we're going. I'm here to remind you as one of your guides. It's the city. It's shining on a hill. That city is you. And when you get there, you'll see him. Don't forget where we're going. And when you see him, there will be a joy, a happiness that nothing on this earth could ever compare to. You will have perfect, perfect, complete joy. This isn't your home. Don't get comfy here. Don't get comfy here. The writer of the Hebrews calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus. The Lord Jesus reminds you, you are not of this world. If you were of this world, the world world would accept you as as its own. But but your citizenship, as it is, is in heaven. It's not your home. You don't belong here. You won't be here long. So don't fret. If you're in Christ, don't worry. Look ahead. The finish line is ahead of you. The prize is for all those who are in Christ Who pursue that upward calling and pursue the finish line. Who pursue the goal. The goal is, the line is, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. It will bring tears to your eyes now. But dear ones, let me say to you, there will come a time when you will not remember the pain. Because there will be no room for it. You will be filled to to every inch of your being with happiness. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have any need of lamp or light, nor the sun of the sun of the day, because the Lord will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. He's the goal. He's the finish line. He's the prize. If this is the last sermon that I ever preach to you, may these words ring in your holy ears, and may the grace of God give you strength to endure unto the goal, unto the finish line, unto the prize, unto God himself. Take the light and look forward. You're going there. Keep your eyes there. Amen. God perfectly. Yes. And intimately. Yes. Illuminating our minds and perfectly capturing our hearts. The is held out for you. Here's how I know. Verse 7. Blessed. Blessed is the one who heeds the words of this book. Perfectly happy are the ones who hear it. Obey it. Yield themselves to being conformed. Look forward to perfectly being Complete. And embrace Him when you see Him. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on God. Let us pray.